back then, it seemed more like I was just basically trying to defend myself mm, and yeah. you know the reputations of the rest of the crew. But more and more lately, you know, along with the burden of all this, it you know dawns on me that a sense of responsibility about trying to make something good come of it. Ladies and gentlemen, we know. I'm there under an assumed name because of the incredible interest. And we, we come out of the, uh, the famous Barrows Neurological Institute after my brainwave scan, and we're in the parking lot, and somebody goes, there he is! And then they're chasing us, you know? Uh, you know, we went roller skating, and it was my first time out, so I fell down a lot. It was the weirdest thing. Travis, he'd fall down and he'd get up and he'd get skating again. It was, it was the strangest thing to, to hear somebody tell about it. There was 20 people on the floor doing the same thing, you know. <laughs> but, you know, since it was me, it had to be weird. You wouldn't believe how many people, probably one at each, each time I, I speak, who wants to get up and explain to me who they are, where they're from, what, what, what they meant, what their intentions were, and all that's well and good, except they're all different. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with the season finale of BOA Audio Season 7. Yes, at long last, we are closing the book on Season 7, and we are doing it once again in traditional, historic fashion. Before we dive into the festivities, though, since I know I have the attention of all of the listeners and that includes the folks who don't tune in to the end segment. Just want to give a heads up on some stuff we have cooking. First of all, BOA Audio Season 8 is a go, and it is happening. You can expect it sometime in the fall, and I plan on starting taping the new episodes in September, and I have quite the list of eclectic and fascinating future guests. Additionally, stay tuned to Banal of America and BOA on Facebook, because there you'll find out about BOA Live, our new live program, which will serve as your BOA audio hub until we launch Season 8. I've already got huge plans for that, so the party is not ending here with the season finale of BOA Audio Season 7. We are just molting and rolling into another era of the program. The final thing I want to mention here at the beginning of the show before we get into the festivities, I know you can't wait. I know you've been waiting long enough. You want me to just hurry up and shut up, and I get that. But i got to plug and ask for donations here, because it is the season finale. This is the 33rd episode of BOA Audio Season 7. It's been going on for over a year here. I couldn't even begin right now to list the guests you've heard over the last year, but some real classics. So it is time, I guess, to say to the folks who have been tuning in all this time and have not 
throwing some change into the bucket, please do so. Now is your time to say thanks for the last year of programming. Now is your chance to say thank you for Season 7 in its entirety. You can donate via PayPal at Benal of America or via our P.O. Box. You can find the address for that also at Benal of America. B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com And as I say at the end of every program, no donation is too small and all donations go towards Benal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Help us get into the black as we begin Season 8 and kick off BOA Live. I can tell you folks, the live program is going to cost me a little bit more than my usual budget, I guess you could say, for Banal of America. So any donations you can make would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Now that you've put up with all that, let's get cooking here on the season finale of BOA Audio Season 7. In keeping with tradition, we are welcoming a legendary guest to the program here to help us close the book on the season. This season, the guest is alien abductee Travis Walton, who joins us for an in-depth discussion on his historic UFO encounter and the subsequent firestorm which continues to swirl around the case to this very day. Over the course of this compact but comprehensive conversation, we are going to explore Travis's story and life from a myriad of angles, spanning 1975 to 2013, and discuss the evolution of abductions, UFO research, and the media over that nearly 40-year time frame. Along the way, we'll venture down a myriad of side roads and explore some surprisingly unexpected realms. At long last, we conclude our marathon seventh season with an iconic and ironic player in the epic history of paranormal studies, talking about Travis Walton. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Travis Walton, please allow me to provide you with a little background on him. On November 5, 1975, a group of loggers in the mountains of northeastern Arizona observed a strange, unusually bright light in the sky. One of those men, Travis Walton, recklessly left the safety of his truck to take a closer look. What happened next sent his companions fleeing in fear. When Travis failed to reappear, the men were suspected of murder. For five days, authorities mounted a massive manhunt in search of Walton or his body. He eventually reappeared, disoriented, and initially unable to tell the details of his terrifying encounter. His book, Fire in the Sky, provides an account of his experience. A major motion picture was also made with the same name. His website is www.travis-walton.com. Pretty simple, but don't forget the hyphen. Travis-walton.com. Check it out. And with all that said, my friends, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on June 24th, 2013. Travis Walton on the season finale of BOA Audio Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the season finale of BOA Audio Season 7. And in keeping with the history of this program, we are closing out the season with a superstar of epic proportions in the world of the paranormal. Really, somebody who found himself at the crossroads of history 
and really paranormal history. When the book on UFOs is written, they're going to need to dedicate a whole chapter to him. And if they do like an encyclopedia type, he's going to get his own book. That's how important his story is. And I'm sure all of you are familiar with it because he wrote a fantastic book that was turned into a film. We're talking about Fire in the Sky. He is Travis Walton. And it is a real thrill to have you on the program, somebody I've really wanted to talk to you for quite a long time. So welcome to the show, Travis. And uh, I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, great to be with you. Now, as I was saying here in the introduction, you know, uh, you found yourself here at the crossroads of paranormal history and really were uh, a victim of circumstance. This wasn't something that, uh, you know, that you did and then everyone was like, oh my God, this is amazing. You really were just in the wrong place at the wrong time or in the right place at the right time, I guess, for, you know, depending on perspectives, right? And really, uh, you know, your whole life changed, your whole world changed. So, Generally, we start out with a bio and a background, but everybody really listening to this program is familiar with your story. And, and kind of what I was thinking here as I was getting ready to do the interview, putting myself in your shoes, uh, really is just to ask, you know, to start out, do you ever get tired of rehashing this, reliving this? I mean, this thing almost happened uh, 40 years ago. You ever like, oh, geez, i got to talk to this guy again about this thing that happened to me when I was 22, you know? Like, get over it? Do you feel like that to other people that you just have to keep talking about it? Well, you know, I try to live my life uh, day to day and sort of uh, box that up part of my life up and set it aside uh, in, in my day to day life. So, you know, it's the interviews, you know, it used to be something that really just drained me to do it. Uh, but I've, you know, over the years become a little bit desensitized to the reliving the stress. But, you know, um, I guess my, my sense of purpose has changed over time, too. How so? Well, you know, back then it seemed more like I was just basically trying to defend myself mm, and, you yeah. know, the reputations of the rest of the crew. But more and more lately, you know, along with the burden of all this, it, it you know, dawns on me that a sense of responsibility about trying to make something good come of it. I see what you're saying, yeah, yeah. Well, you did have to spend a lot of the time yeah, as you said, that's, that was kind of the word that was floating around in my brain just then as you were talking. Defend yourself. You know, you had to really uh, make the case for it. Now, what, I guess what good could come out of this? Just that people are aware that these things happen to people, I guess? Yeah, well, that's part of it. And then part of it, you know, is that uh, there's good cases and there's bad cases. And, you know, I, I, you know, I never want to set myself up as uh, uh, judging the ones I don't think are, are good. But I think just by, you know... Um, comparison that people make on their own, uh, gradually, I, I hope to kind of raise the bar, you know, so kind of set a standard by which, you know, people can can separate, you know, what are good and, and, and important cases, and there are many, uh, and ones that aren't. Well, that raises sort of an interesting point, because uh, you're you know, it, no pun intended, your story is a fascinating case study, in a sense. I mean, you're, what happened to you was in 75, here we are almost 40 years later, and, I mean, you went through hell, uh, your experience, uh, returning, dealing with the humans, <laughs> you know? Forget the, forget the entities and the aliens, just dealing with the people on, on, on this planet when you got back was, was just insane. And nowadays, here in 2013, I mean, I don't know how much you, you go online or go on Facebook or whatever, but there are people who, are like, you know, abductee and proud and, and you know, experiencers. And, and uh, you know, it's like there's just tons of people who say that they have had these experiences. So it's an interesting, 
you know, uh, contrast, I guess you could say, between what you went through and how, I guess, I don't know, perceptions have changed, uh, you know, in the last 30-plus years. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, so much has changed over time. You know, in my case in particular, you know, a lot of the false allegations, uh, you know, it took a while to, to, you know, kind of tromp those down. But, you know, still, you'll still get people who are, you know, resurrecting old things that were disproved a long time ago. But in, in in the field in general... There's been uh, more of a trend towards acceptance. It's not as bizarre because, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, space travel itself has become more of a of a norm, more of an accepted thing. Um, in general, you know, shuttle missions are kind of routine. Back back in the late '60s and early '70s, you know. Had the, the whole world was glued to their TV set when there was a a, a a mission to the moon or something, you know. Yeah. And and so the routineness of space travel, plus reports from these space telescopes, you know, back when this happened, they didn't know of any planets outside of the solar system, for sure. Right. Of course, astronomers, you know, believed they existed, but they had no way of detecting them for sure. And now they have. Um, identified thousands and 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 even a, a few hundred that are possibly earth-like. Right, right. That's a that's an interesting sort of uh, road to go down. When it came out that you had been abducted and everything, were you approached by other abductees or was it such a rarity that, you know, there really weren't anybody else out there that could relate to your story? Well, uh, uh, the, the hypnosis that I underwent was performed by Dr. James Harder, and he put me on the phone with Betty Hill. And although we didn't discuss incidents that much, you know, she talked a lot about the ability to, uh, you know, handle uh, the human reaction. And that was helpful. Right. But aside from that, I mean, they weren't, like, coming out of the woodwork. Like, like nowadays, if somebody's abducted, there's support groups and all this yeah, other stuff. Yeah, there's support groups. Well, there was nothing back then, you right. know. And, you know, even the psychiatrist that examined me said, this man is not lying, uh, you know, but he's been through a traumatic event. But he, even he tried to explain it away in psychological terms, you know. Yeah. Now, and I was really, okay. really stretching the paradigm there because, you know, the, all the psychological explanations he came up with for me certainly wouldn't apply to six other crewmen who saw the same things. Right, right, exactly. Well, that's that's why your case is really one of the signature cases in all of UFO history. I mean, the the, the multitude of witnesses, and it's just a it's just a great case. Let's, well, you know, support uh, support. You know, I get I get letters uh, and email from people that uh, you know express support, and that is helpful, and it's a good thing. But at the same time, you wouldn't believe how many people, you know, probably wanted each each time I, I speak, who wants to get up and explain to me who they are, where they're from, what 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 they meant, what their intentions were, and all that's well and good, except they're all different. Right. Every single one of them has the answer, and they're gonna they're gonna fill me in, and uh, you know I, I get a little bit annoyed about that, but. Uh, right, right. They're like you know, they, they, it can't all be true if if, if they're all <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're getting yeah. They're, they're saying they're in contact with someone and you know an entity or whatever, and they're and they're sharing you know 
But they, they've been told what happened to you, essentially, what they're saying, Connor? Well, I guess, you know, my insistence on trying not to draw conclusions or act like I know more than I do kind of leaves it, 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 it's a, Nature abhors a vacuum, you know, and mm. there's there's an unanswered question there, and somebody wants to move forward and answer it. You know, for all I know, some of those people know what they're talking about, but how, how would I be able to tell who was <laughs> which was which? Exactly. You you mentioned the hypnosis part. Obviously, I don't, again, I don't know how much you've been following uh, the abduction field in the last few years, but hypnosis as a tool of abduction research has taken a huge hit. It's been really uh, attacked in a lot of ways and, and really shown – a lot of holes in it, and uh, a friend of mine and I were sort of debating how much of your story is based on your own recollection versus the hypnosis regression. You know, if you could break it down, sort of a you know fifty. Well, 50 you know, hypnosis has always been attacked as a as a um, as a method, but then heck, some people do that with polygraph because if if the results don't uh, jive with what they want to believe, then they're going to attack it. Hmm. But you know, some of the some of the criticism is justified, but. Um, whether it be polygraph or hypnosis, it's only as good as the as the uh, operator, the investigator. And um, in my case, uh, no n- real new information about what happened moment to moment. Uh, that really wasn't the the point of the hypnosis. It was so traumatic and so you know, um, you know, it, it, I, I would try to explain what happened, and I just break down. Mm. So. Um, the main goal there was to separate the recall from the fear. And it didn't bring any memories to me that I hadn't previously recalled, Mm. except that it did separate the fear to a certain extent. Of course, it was still there in a a way, but um, I, I was at least able to, for the first time, relate to the investigators what happened. Okay, so you remembered it all. It was really, uh, but it was just so crazy or, or so traumatic that you couldn't even, you know, you, you couldn't get it all out. And of course, you know, like like the other kinds of explanations, like I was talking about the psychiatrist trying to come up with a psychological explanation, you know, the idea that I had a transitory psychosis. Of course, I had other psychiatric exams that were perfectly normal uh, from a variety of different types of tests and so that didn't back up the idea of a transitory psychosis but the the criticism of the of the hypnosis and um oh and also the drug hallucination theory all three of these ways of trying to explain it away as some kind of a a, a delusion that was induced in me by drugs or by the hypnotist or by some childhood uh, psychological trauma none of that pans out when you have to explain how seven people experienced a, a large part of this uh, in uh, essentially the same uh, detail. Right, right. See, that's that's kind of, I guess, what the uh, skeptics do. They just focus on the they just they they, you know, they say, oh, don't worry about that. Don't you know? Mm-hmm. If we can just if we can just poke holes in his thing, we don't you know we don't need to go after the other stuff, which is obviously. It's kind of funny though to me that why why you know some people who were looking for some way to explain it away, you know, I'm talking about media people uh, in particular, would latch on to that as an explanation. Never ask the question, well, how does this explain the others what they witnessed? Hmm. And uh, it was. Because they don't, you know, they don't want to. <laughs> they don't want to explain well, it's that. it's kind know. of a funny scary, thing. The media loves to 
say, point, counterpoint, mm. you know, here's the pro, here's the con, and they, they want to have opposing points of view, and so they they, they go out of their way to, to do that, even though it's uh, silly on the face of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I, 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 the only... The only real, like, sort of part of your overall experience within the ship and all that that I really wanted to revisit is uh, the whole aspect of how you saw this humanoid-type being on there. Because I, I have always found that really fascinating, and, and as, as a lot of people have pointed out, you know, that kind of gets skewed. In, in some, obviously, it was skewed in the movie. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. It's not mentioned you know, at all. It's, that is one aspect that, you know, people seem to go out of their way to just leave out <laughs> including the movie but to me it's it's maybe the key to the whole thing you know or it's certainly you know something you would think would really you know uh, incite a lot of questions about you know the meaning of the whole thing right right now i guess describe i'm sure you know and and going into this i I know you've done probably a million interviews, so I've really tried to tailor these questions at least uh, for the most part, uh, you know, to stuff that maybe well, you haven't well, been asked these about. these beings look so <laughs> human that I took them to be human at first. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've said, often said, they would, they would pass in American society without much notice. But there was no communication between you and the humanoid or anything? Uh, well, yeah, it was definitely a one-way street. I was... Yelling all kinds of uh, rather um, <laughs> hysterical <laughs> questions, but um, I, I didn't get any response. And beyond the beyond that, beyond it ignoring you, did it sort of uh, behave like a human? Was it like you know, was it physically like moving around like a human, or was it? Oh animal? yeah, definitely. You know, and you know, people will ask me, uh, did it did it look like a robot? Did it look like mm. an android? Did it look like it was? you know, in some kind of hypnotic trance or something. But no, you know, um, any entity that, you know, uh, future technology uh, could create that would function in place of a living organic being would probably be sophisticated enough to where you really wouldn't be able to tell. You'd have to have motions that were fluid and smooth and, mm. and you know, human-like. Um, otherwise... You know, it'd be useless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not. Listen, I, I don't want to like. <laughs> I'm not trying to like poke holes in your story or anything. I'm just out. No, you know, I understand. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, these are all ideas that you know I've discussed in the book and, and exactly. different times. Mm, I know. Like I said, I didn't. I, I try not to. I try not to go over too much uh, refresh ground, but it's almost impossible because you're such a star. So, <laughs> um, and and one of the big things that I find fascinating about this whole field of research is the field of research. As much as, uh, you know, the phenomena is fascinating, it's, to me it's how the, the human reaction to all this. And I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, what was your first impression of this UFO research community, uh, you know, when, when this all unfolded? You know, all of a sudden, I mean, you, you went through a double trauma, really. I mean... Yeah, and, and, you know, I kind of discuss a little bit of that in the book. You know, there was... There was uh, quite a rivalry amongst the various investigative organizations, and um, I think a certain amount of that continues to this day. It, it's probably a little more congenial, but basically, uh, even today, 
the good cases are the ones that that particular investigator is looking at, and the ones that aren't so good are the ones somebody else is in charge of. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, well, could you have – I mean, it sounds like really, you know, that, that, that it was a bit frustrating to deal with all these people. Could you have been – if you wanted to – Aside from, I guess, the desire to prove or defend yourself, could you have just been like, you know what, like, leave me alone. This thing yeah, happened to me. Yeah. You know, I, I really considered that option many times, you know. It, 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 you know, given it a little further thought, it just was something I wasn't going to be able to do. But it really was tempting to just throw up my hands and say, fine, you know, just <laughs> – you believe whatever you want to believe. I'm not going to talk to you about it anymore. It's your loss, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that that would be, I think at some point I would get to that, you know. Who knows? I may get there anyway, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> um, well, and again, to return to sort of this research community, it's interesting, and it's changed over the years, uh, as we've talked about how abductees and experiencers and, and I guess, you, get, you know, modern contactees, too, you know, they're, they're treated differently. But back then, it was like, you know, you were evidence. You weren't a person. You were, you were evidence for these people to pour over. And, I mean, how did that feel? What was that like? Well, you know, the bug in the jar thing uh, was really hard uh, and you know it wasn't just investigators it wasn't just news media you know it's just walking around in public and and uh, you know getting the feeling that people were you know scrutinizing you just a little too closely you know just you had to be careful not to be normal because the way people act in normal in a normal situation if they were you know being micro analyzed that way is not going to look normal. So you have to be kind of guarded about about how you appear in public just to, you know, to be more normal than normal. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so, the, you know, their impression would be, oh, he's acting, you know, he's acting too normal, so it obviously didn't happen to him, that kind of thing. Well, or, you know, you just scratched your head wrong, and they said, oh, that was the weirdest thing. You know, there was a, this, uh, you know, we went roller skating. And it was my first time out, so I fell down a lot. But it was the weirdest thing. Travis, he'd fall down, and he'd get up, and he'd keep skating again. It was, it was the strangest thing to, to hear somebody tell about it. There was 20 people on the floor doing the same thing, you know. <laughs> but, you know, since it was me, it had to be weird. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, perfectly normal things have to be weird when you're under that kind of microscopic examination. But, oh, God. you know, the problem back then exists to this day uh, with research. It's underfunded. You know, when something important happens, certain evidence is not going to set around forever, and certain tests need to be done immediately, and uh, a lot of that stuff is expensive. And um, there have been, there are some investigators who, you know, forge ahead and do their best, but it's so underfunded that a lot of uh, opportunities are missed. And uh, some of the better investigators are not all that recognized. They're kind of, uh, you know, toiling in obscurity, uh, devoting a lot of their personal time and uh, funding to to try to, uh, you know, research these things. Right, right. Well, the funding issue has been, yeah, that's a key a key problem with the whole UFO research community. It's, it's a sad state of affairs. Now, if provided, uh, 
it's kind of a difficult question to ask because, you know, technology's advanced so much, but provided you, you know, had the benefit of hindsight, when you returned uh, from the abduction, is there something else you wish you had done you know, oh, yeah, there's lots of stuff. You know, there, there should have been follow-up things on the electromagnetic readings. There should have been follow-up readings on the radiation readings. Uh, my clothes, when I was returned, were carefully bagged uh, for forensic analysis, and that got forgotten. They were thrown into the trunk and stuff, thrown in on top of it, the bag thrown open. And so a lot of uh, follow-up information was just uh, went by the way because it wasn't acted on soon enough. And... Uh, who knows what might have been discovered had a group of scientists been able to comb that site and uh, look for traces that would no longer exist in a short period of time. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, the forensics of it all, like I said, mm -hmm. the technology's changed so much. Like if this happened so, today... So, you know, some of the, some of the really well-known researchers are good and some of the really well-known stars in ufology are not so good. And some of the really good ones are relatively unknown. And... Uh, well, yeah, some, yeah. Sometimes you can. Sometimes there's a percentage break there between the amount of uh, publicity they seek and the <laughs> amount of quality work they produce. Yeah, so. and I guess that kind of uh, applies to the better cases too, and the, and the worst cases. You know, there, there's some of the really famous cases are good, and some of Martin, and some barely known ones are extremely good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we just need more champions for those that aren't well known. Well. It's interesting, uh, not only were you in the middle of this UFO research circus, you were in the middle of this uh, media circus. And at what point when you got back did you realize that this was all, <laughs> that you were in the middle of an international story? You know, within a couple hours, within a day, I mean, it, obviously it, you were messed it, up. You know, I was coming away from a medical exam uh, in which I went was on there under an assumed name because of the incredible interest. And we we come out of the... Uh, the famous Barrows Neurological Institute after my brainwave scan, and we're in the parking lot, and somebody goes, there he is! And then they're chasing us, you know? So, uh, uh, how, uh, there was there was no way anybody at the hospital knew it was us. It was just because it was so much in the media. Uh, so it was almost immediate that, it, that the media in t uh, intensity was just really something that took a lot of adjusting to. How long, I guess it still continues to this day, but like how oh, yeah, long was I, that? I've learned a lot about the news media, and I think it, it really helps me when I watch the news, mm -hmm. about not about myself or any other cases uh, in this area. I'm talking about just the news in general. I see the story behind the story because I know how they operate. And it's it. You know, I think I see it through different eyes than, you know, the typical viewer. Well, absolutely, yeah. Let's let's explore that a little bit, you know. We don't even need to use the dreaded uh, three-letter word UFO. I mean, it's it's it seems like, you know, I guess this sort of thing's been going on since there was media, but it was kind of few and far between. And nowadays it's like every, you know, every month – Every month, there's like three or four people that become that get their 15 minutes of fame that that explode, you know, as as sort of uh, micro celebrities. Uh, you know, I mean, what, what's your take on that? How the media has changed so much, and how, how do you feel about those people that experience that? Because you experienced it like 40 years ago. Yeah, well, you know, there's a certain uh, truth amount of truth to the uh, accusation that news media is kind of becoming sort of tabloidish in their. Um, coverage uh 
But people need to keep in mind always that the news media is not just performing some service to bring you the facts about what's going on in the world. That's the idealistic view. It's a business, and they're competitive. And uh, so, you know, what brings the viewers in is what's going to uh, uh, rule the day. So the more far out things are, even not even paranormal, even, you know, sometimes somebody does something weird and they're all of a sudden a viral starts. Strange. I bet, I'm sure you're probably kind of happy that this whole thing didn't happen to you like in the last few years, right? Uh, uh, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Might be better, might be worse. Who knows? Yeah, well, like we said, I mean, you'd be able to get better but friends. You know, if it happened yeah. uh, nowadays, probably two or three crewmen at least would have had cell phone cameras, you know? Exactly, yeah. It changed everything. Yeah, that's true. I never even thought of that, but yeah, yeah, it would have changed everything. But, you know, I've talked to you know, researchers in this field who actually think that these entities have sort of modified their uh, behavior in terms of trying to keep uh, a semi-low profile because of cell phones and, you know, everybody's got a camera in hand. And and so it um, that, had they continued with the kinds of behavior that they'd had in the past, there would have been some really undeniable footage by now. And so these entities are very highly technological, and they're able to, uh, you know, anticipate that. i got to say, that might be one of the most intriguing things I've heard in a long time, because uh, that's a thought that has not crossed my mind. Uh, in, in, well, they've got to be know, at least exactly. as sophisticated as our own government. <laughs> right, right. And if, uh, you know, if they can uh, triangulate the position of every cell phone out there, certainly um, uh, for, uh, an advanced technology would be able to work around uh, uh, avoiding cameras. And that that's one of the big arguments you hear a lot nowadays. You know, people are like, well, everybody's got a phone with a camera on it. How come we don't have any better video? And it's like, the, you know, like I said, I never considered uh, what you said, but that makes perfect sense that, you know, if they're, it, you know, they're always one step ahead of us, so it makes oh, yeah, sense they, that they would. They would probably not only be able to know who had the the, the camera, they would be able to detect, detect if it was activated and probably be able to alter or disarm the image to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Amicho Kaku was uh, given an interview a while back, and he said, you know, people continue to try to envision these advanced civilizations as being a hundred or uh, a few hundred years ahead of us. He said, but, you know, just the age of the universe and the age of these various systems you know, you've got to consider that they could be hundreds of thousands or millions of years ahead of us. And so the technology, you know, is going to look like magic. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm blown away here by this line of thought, so I, thank you. <laughs> um, what, what's it like nowadays when you go to these conferences? You said people talk to you, they want to tell you about, you know, their experience and how they've, you know, gone through all this, do you, do you find sort of that people, obviously they treat you differently, but they, they hold, they put you on a pedestal, let's say. I mean, does that make you feel uncomfortable to be sort of uh Oh, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that at all because, right. you know, I'm I'm just a person who, you know, uh, what, what's special is what happened to us, not, not necessarily, you know, the people involved. But um, 
by the same token, I've had to deal with the converse, people who think um, some kind of lunatic, and that's not called for either. So I've I've kind of had a, to uh, throw up barriers in both directions and just disregard the negative and the positive and try to, you know, with a certain circle of people, relate to them person to person, human to human, and, and never mind the celebrity or, or the... Um, um, whatever the uh, negative aspersions right right well that would be the frustrating part i mean i think i guess both sides of the coin are pretty frustrating but you know it's like why do you like i said i would at some point i'd be like i'm not going to argue about this with you anymore it's it's enough's enough um well you know there's all this talk about disclosure and people seem to think this is going to happen someday or you know any day now if you talk to some people and obviously uh that's been going on since the beginning of the ufo Phenomenon. What's your overall thoughts on you know the possibility that we're going to get a breakthrough in all this, regardless of whether it comes from the government or from them, if you will? Well, you know, in in, the, in truth, it really could happen any day. Yeah. But probably the least likely scenario is the government saying, "Boy, there's popular demand for this out there. People really want this. I guess we'd better just come clean." I don't think that's going to happen because you know they've been lying for so long to admit it now would really. Uh, you know, not be a good job security move for them. And so if it happens, it's going to be because a whistleblower runs away with the files or or goes public or some kind of an incident forces their hand. Hmm. There's a third possibility, and that's that if it serves their purpose to reveal it in some way, you know, it's part of a long-range plan they've considered for some time. I'm talking about our government. Right. Uh, that it, it it serves their purpose to 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 let us know now. Now, there's there's always been a lot of talk about uh, you know we don't have to focus really on Phil Class, but uh, you know sort of like uh, the debunkers working for the government. I guess my overall point sort of here is like the government stifling this subject. And did you ever feel sort of the heavy boot of uh, you know the the bureaucracy on you uh, with regards to your story? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but, you know, what's really strange is how it uh, focused more on the rest of the crew than on me. Mm-hmm. You know, like Phil Class never made any kind of attempt to contact me, write me a letter, a phone call, or anything. And you would think that, you know, he could, you know, do his normal thing, you know, talk to me, and then chop up the interview and distort what I said, and you know, or something like that. But he never attempted that at all, and that's very odd to me. Uh, and I really do think, you know, I have to revisit the idea that he had a little urging from behind the scenes, mm. um, especially in light of the Freedom of Information Act stuff. That, right. Uh, That's what I was alluding to. Yeah. Yeah. It seems yeah. that it's, it's sort of uh, been borne out a little bit, the theories that he was, uh, you know, yeah, at so, least in cahoots. Know, they, he was being investigated uh, for revealing classified information in connection with his job. But they decided not to prosecute, and I have the memo where J. Edgar Hoover turns it over to the uh, director of the CIA. And so, um, you know, it's real easy to hold that kind of uh, threat of prosecution over somebody's head and uh, sort of guide their um, behavior uh, in the future. And oh, interesting. Really- so that, that predated his uh, campaign against UFOs, if you will? Yeah. Interesting. See, I never really explored that part of it all, so. Yeah, it's all there in the in his FBI file. But um, 
but there was also other things that came uh, to us, you know, harassment from the government to Mike, the crew boss, and to Steve Pierce, the youngest guy on the crew. Uh, um, the uh, extreme amount of effort that was put into trying to bribe Steve to deny it. You know, $10,000 is not uh, anything that you would think uh, the author of anti-UFO books could come up with that easily. But um, even though I criticized him for being an armchair investigator and doing all of his so-called investigations uh, on the phone, um, I found out later that he actually flew to Texas, took Steve out to dinner, and tried to uh, get him to accept this bribe. I found out that he flew to Phoenix and had somebody drive him up to the site. And it's really weird that he would not mention this in his extensive writings about this case. Mm. It's very peculiar. And again... How can you afford that kind of travel uh, on the meager sales of of his uh, anti UFO books? Right, right. What a do you? Of, a lot of circumstantial kinds of things all pointing in the same direction. You know, I kind of leaned away from that theory, and I just uh, basically, you know, figured it was his own fanaticism um, for the most part. But now I'm I'm much more heavily that he you know had some bankroll right right it seems that way uh you know because he was all over the place and uh i'm not sure exactly what he did for a living off the top of my head but uh you know he sort of seemed to travel uh he was a magazine editor but i I wouldn't think that would uh, be right yeah he wasn't (laughs) he wasn't like a hollywood actor or a sports star with the money to fly not a magazine that has a very large circulation at all now, what do you think he visited the location for? Uh, you sort of alluded to the fanaticism part. Do you think he was trying to look for something that could help his case to debunk, or do you think well, maybe he's one? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and he couldn't uh, really find. Who knows? He, he, you know, he. I wouldn't put it past him to try to uh, deposit false evidence on the location, but nothing, nothing like that ever came about. So, you know, it's just the fact that he went there and didn't say he had been there. In, in face of the criticism that he hadn't done so, is is weird. It certainly is. Like I, I, maybe it suggests to me that he was looking for something and couldn't find. Even if it was like a you know like a scenario he could paint to, like you said, to plant the false evidence. Uh, you know, maybe just a shade below that. You know, he was looking for something that he could tie it all in. And since he didn't, it didn't help his case to mention that he went there. I guess unless he secretly uh, believed it and was looking for other kinds of evidence. Yeah, that thought did cross my mind as we were talking about it. Also, yeah, that is the possibility that that yeah that you know maybe he was maybe he was doing double duty. Maybe he was doing the debunking for the government and doing the investigating for the government. You know, yeah. he came back and said, "Okay, here's the yeah, you know here's here's how it all uh, stacks up from from the scene." Um. Now, I guess I'm sure this has been explored in other places, and I heard a couple of the guys from the crew on with you on Coast to Coast, but what was the relationship with you and these guys, uh, you know, in the immediate aftermath, and then how it all shook out over the last uh, few decades? Well, uh, you know, 
the crew, you know, they're constantly being referred to as my buddies or my friends, you know, but we were just a group of men that were, would come together in the morning to go to work, and then when we went home, we gen generally didn't hang out with each other that much. Maybe, you know, two here, two there, like that kind of. Right. As a group, there there was no cohesiveness amongst the seven. And once the job broke up, you know, that became even more, uh, you know, or I should say less connected. But um, so all these years, uh, one of the crewmen was, uh, we hadn't heard from him. I hadn't heard from him since I spoke to him uh, just about the time the movie came out. And then in the, uh, 20 years since then, nobody had heard anything from him. But I had a uh, 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 police officer friend uh, look into it and finally located him just last week. So. Oh, wow. Are you going to reach out to him or are you just going to kind of let it go to see if he... You know. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna reach out, but I'm gonna let him get acclimated first. He's not quite ready to speak publicly, but he says he's willing to. But he remembers a lot of stuff that night that I think is uh, important to to get on record because uh, you know everybody's looking in different directions, everybody's thinking different things and seeing different things. So it helps fill out the picture to to finally find him and and get his recollections. Right, right. Because he might remember something that the other guys don't. You know, he may have an extra piece to the puzzle that we haven't heard yet. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. So there wasn't any animosity or anything like that, did they? No, no. And I spoke to him for about 20, uh, uh, 20 25 minutes, and and uh, he um, has been um, an electrician journeyman for years, and uh, he likened the sound that the beam made when it hit me as being like high voltage. You know, he's worked around industrial uh, power sources, and when uh, when they throw the switch on those big things, that, that sound of that uh, surge of uh, energy is what that reminded him of. And so I, I thought that was significant. Um, yeah. When I spoke at uh, an um, engineering school in uh, Rapid City, um, the questions the students were asking or had, where they were very curious about the sounds. And uh, so, you know, you can kind of, um, you know, draw some conclusions um, if you have a little technical back background to, from things that the rest of us might just say, well, you know, it sounded kind of like this, and, you know, it was just a weird sound. But to them, they can correlate that to particular energies and effects. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, we need more experts looking at this, uh, regardless of their, you know, uh, vocation, if you will. Um, so, did you, I guess there, you seem like such a laid-back guy. I mean, I don't know what it was like going going through all of it then, but were you sort of, I mean, just to, just to stay on the crew aspect of it, were you so, and you mentioned how, you know, no one ever really mentions that they all saw the thing, or no one wants to really revisit that part of it. Was there any sort of like, oh, sh you know, oh shit, man, why, why was it? Why couldn't it have been you or the other guy? Was it, you know, was there sort of like that feeling, or, or were they ever sort of like, you know, oh man, this guy's, you know, despite all the media frenzy and everything, this guy's uh, a celebrity. Was anyone ever sort of like, oh, I wish, I wish that happened to me, you know, or anything like that? Yeah, I think there probably is a few of them that eventually came to that feeling, but 
at the same time, there was so much negative that, you know, I broke trail for them over the years, so they're all willing to speak now, but it was a lot tougher way back. Hmm. And uh, some of them relate um, stories of being present where somebody is claiming that they were on that crew or knew those guys, uh, the crew members, intimately. And here's a crew member standing right there listening to the story, and uh, they just keep their mouth shut. (laughs) So, you know, you can see that even people who had nothing to do with it want to claim that they were involved in it in some important way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, it was, uh, you know, in the brain. I, I have a, a, a friend, uh, you know, not a real good friend, but, you know, he is now, he thinks. But, you know, he tells the story <laughs> that when I was returned and I came to the phone booth, the first person I called was him. And then I called my family. <laughs> well, you know, the operator listened in on the phone call. All that stuff was traced, and there was only one phone call from me to my family for help. And so, but even though he's a supporter, you know, he wants to say that, you know, I was, the first thing I did was call him. And there's somebody else that I went to high school with that, you know, I don't remember him that well, but they're claiming that they went to that homecoming party that we had when I was returned. Well, you know, that was a story device in the movie and that party never really happened. But these are the kinds of stories that people tell in order to, you know, situate themselves uh, more centrally to the story. Right, right. Well, it's, these are people like in the area where you live still, right? Right. Yeah. I can see kind of how in some strange way it's a point of civic pride in a way. I can see how yeah, people well, would want to be. Yeah, well, it's not all positive. Some of it's negative. You hmm. know, there's this one guy claiming that he was the sheriff's nephew, do, nephew and he had the inside story on it. And he tells this whole story about how when the crew came into town that they m- met with the sheriff at, at the uh, uh, Red Robin Diner. And uh, uh, he goes into all the details of what was said there, but... Uh, the Red Robin Diner didn't exist for another 20 years after that. <laughs> and so when people question him about that, he goes, oh, 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 I meant the Red Onion. And there is a Red Onion in Heber, but that also wasn't there for another 20 years. But, you know, it's just a way of trying to say they uh, they have an important part of it, the story to tell. Right. You know, everything the guy was saying was just totally bogus. Uh, just uh, for one thing, he wasn't the sheriff's nephew. The the relations that he's talking about is the town marshal, and the town marshal really didn't have that big of a role in the investigation. The county sheriff is a completely different family. Yeah. So. Well, know, all kinds of stories. And, yeah, yeah. It sounds like that. Is is there in the area now? It seems like all these events. You know, uh, they have a McMinnville event, they have an Exeter event, obviously they have a Roswell event. Do they ever do anything to commemorate the your event, or was it such a sort of traumatic and unpleasant story that they, they shy away from it? Well, the local Chamber of Commerce type regional development uh, people came to me and wanted to to do a Roswell or McMinnville type thing, and I shied away from that. And I haven't done any kind of uh, talks or anything locally. But I've, I've kind of shifted my uh, <clears throat> feeling on that in recent times. And I was approached recently about doing a talk here. So I'm going to do one here next month and um, see how that goes. I may regret it. I still <laughs> kind of uh, have mixed feelings about it. But 
It's something they wanted to do, so they're putting it together all. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? Well, uh, obviously we talk about this. There's no money to be had anywhere. But let's say somebody, you know, let's say a TV company, you know, let's say they ponied up the money. Uh, you know, you get the 40th anniversary coming up. If they could get everybody back together, would you participate in something like that? Oh, yeah, I, I would really like to see something like that happen, but I'm not going to get sucked in like I did with that National Geographic show. Uh, you know, I really had high hopes. They've got such a great reputation for their nature and science documentaries. When they wanted to do a show, you know, um, I thought this was going to be the best yet, and it turned out to be one of the worst. You know, their their position on UFOs is just basically to spoof it, and uh, I, I I wasted a few days with them. And But, see, the promise was they were going to bring in these scientists and these investigators. They were going to do follow-up on the radiation and the electromagnetic readings and, and the tree growth at the, at the site, all these things. And none of that happened. It was just a big right. buoy. You know, it was just total silliness. You know, it's just, oh, man, an embarrassment for them. And for me, I guess, <laughs> the really the best one that's ever been done was the Sci-Fi Channel did a special 90 minutes all on this case um, um, of Paranormal Witness. And uh, they did uh, interviews with everybody involved except the one that couldn't be found, and uh, and the one that died. But um, And they did intersperse it with some really good reenactments. And so, you know, in the last 38 years, uh, that's the best that's been done. Yeah, well, that's too bad. And, of course, uh, well, I, again, like, I'll try not to retread on questions, and I'm sure you've been asked this about a million times, but... You know the thought, thoughts on the movie. You know, what, what were you? You know, were you happy? I guess it, let's let's rephrase it in a way that uh, at least keeps it kind of fresh. You know, at the end of the day, would you have still signed on for this movie, uh, given how it all turned out, or would you rather, have, uh, you know, maybe waited and tried to get a better representation of, of the story? Well, you know, I guess I'd never thought of it that way. You know, I definitely have said, yeah, I would do it because the net effect was positive, in spite of the fact that they didn't stick with the real story, but. The way you put it there makes me think, well, maybe I should have uh, held out for um, at least final script approval. I don't have to write it. Just let me see what you're going to do so that, uh, you know, if it goes too far afield, you know, we're not going anywhere until that. You know, probably that would have been the only thing. But all in all, you know, I 2020 hindsight's all are always perfect. <laughs> exactly. But... Uh, um. I'm, I'm glad that it happened in the sense that it uh, caused a lot of people to hear about it and look into it and get the real facts in ways that uh, they probably never would have without the movie. And, you know, I'm hoping someday to get a remake and uh, it will stick closer to the real story. Right. That's That was the next thing I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, have you ever been approached to do I mean, it was a pretty popular movie. It, was a, it did pretty well for itself. I mean, Oh, uh, and it still is. You yeah. know, I'm still... Hearing from people from every corner of the world that are, you know, it's in a way, you know, there's more interest right now than there was back then. You hmm. know, I, you know, I'm going to be doing a tour with some people from China, and uh, I've just been contacted by uh, Russian television. That'll be a first. And uh, so, um, 
I guess it's the internet. That's probably it. Uh, but now the world is aware of it, and it's like they've just discovered it anew. Well, that's an interesting uh, sort of, I guess, perspective to look at it from. Have you gotten a different response from people in other countries versus the United States, where we're sort of more conditioned uh, to sort of giggle at this, and maybe in other places they're not? Well, you know, in England, they think they're the ones that are the ones that are giggling at it, and that America takes it serious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was there in December, and that's what they were telling me, and I was kind of scratching my head about that one. That's weird. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's certain parts of the world are more receptive, and certain parts are just now opening up, and it's spreading like wildfire in certain countries uh, because... Uh, a lot of their governments are not as secretive as ours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, look at the uh, you know a lot of countries are putting out their UFO files now. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, now I definitely wanted to ask you here about the uh, the moment of truth episode you were on for Fox. I thought that was really interesting um, because I'm very I'm very skeptical of of them. I guess you'd say. Uh, I'm well, not... that was t- total a phony show. Right. Well, I guess totally fake. Yeah. What I'm asking is, do you think that it was, you know, that they just had faulty, you know, they they put it all together faulty, you know, poorly. Or do you think that, you know, because the way it sounded, and I haven't watched it, but I've read it, sort of a description of it. It sounded like you were at the cusp of the of the big payoff, and then they pulled the rug out from under you. you well, think that it was... was just they just did that for drama. I mean, hmm. the questions that I answered truthfully, according to them. Uh, there's no way I can be lying on the big one, but they just wanted it that way. See, you see, nobody ever got the big payoff. Mm, that's what I mean. Like I'm asking, yeah. that show was a big fake, and the and the examiner's job was to make sure you didn't. And uh, the law in many states concerning polygraph is that the maximum number of questions is four. That the reliability of the method breaks down, and also you have to do repeated runs, a minimum of three so that you have something to compare to. If there's any sort of a response to a certain question, you want to see that it's there for all three runs. Well, they did 50 questions, more than 50, one time through. So, you know, there's not an examiner, a polygraph examiner anywhere that would do anything but say, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I ran on to a, a guy who is a court uh um, uh, recognized expert on polygraph who formed a website right after that show came into being before I was ever on it mm. basically attacking them as as uh, being absolutely worthless in terms of polygraph that the results that they would get would be nothing better uh, than flipping a coin and uh, I've uh, consulted uh, the top experts in the world since that show and they all agree that in my case you know, every error in the world, every disqualifying condition that you can imagine was present there. But anyway, that's that. it did uh, serve one purpose. I immediately came home from that show and uh, sought out the most rigorous test I could find. And uh, the state of New Mexico allows the results to be used in court, so it's very highly regulated there. And so I uh, got the... Uh, top-rated examiner in the state there that does work for uh, Albuquerque Police Department, uh, the New Mexico uh, 
state prisons and even the U.S. Marshals. Oh, wow. And uh, ultra-modern, this is the first time I've ever seen a polygraph that has five traces, but it was all, uh, it was the modern method where the examiner scores it and the computer scores it. And, uh, you know, I passed with flying colors, uh, uh, two separate tests. Hmm. So, you know, at the time that the, the crew passed the test and I passed my first test, uh, the uh, president of the American Polygraph Association said that the odds were over a million to one of there being an error of any kind, you know, because polygraph isn't perfect. But when you have six people or seven people all passing tests on the same question, the odds are a million to one that there could be any problem with it. And uh, that was back when there were six tests, and now there's been 16 past tests in connection with this. And uh, five of those are, are my own tests. Wow. By three different examiners, all of them associated with law enforcement, other than that ridiculous show, which is not a true polygraph at all. It's just a, yeah. a, 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 certainly a stupid error on my part to think that, they're, <laughs> they're, that they would be uh, fair at all. Right, right. Because, yeah, it would... It it you, you didn't give any sort of thought to you know the idea that maybe this was some kind of unconscious response that maybe there was something else that happened to you that you couldn't understand you know what I mean like that maybe maybe but but you'd already sort of answered that question before on polygraph and so this was more of an anomaly in that regard. Well, you know, if I if I detect a hostility or a, a negative attitude from somebody, I you know. It does enrage me, you know, and that's a, a, you don't want to provoke those kind of emotions because mm. what you're trying to measure with a polygraph is response to the questions. So the things that they did to provoke me, like, for instance, one thing they had was, you know, they they filmed this this dummy sequence in which I was had my arm with the sensors on it resting comfortably on this table like it's supposed to be. But in actuality, the real test my arm was balanced on this narrow steel rail oh, God. for a long time. I mean, 50 questions, it takes, you know, over an hour. And it was excruciating because, you you know, you don't want to move in the slightest to, because, you know, that's going to cause a, a reading. Hmm. But the, the, the pressure and the pain that, that was causing <laughs> definitely would screw up the test. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't want to lose that $100,000. No, they had no intention of paying it, and they never did. <laughs> never paid anybody. And you know what? I found out, and one thing that made me start to walk out, was that I found out that uh, more people that had come there to film had left prior to finishing. They were walking out on the show than, than had actually been put in the can to be you know, broadcast. Was that because they thought it was uh, a flan, uh, you know, a fake, or because they were asking them like questions that they didn't really want to get into, you know, like like did you cheat on your wife? What their reason was, but you know, with the the money uh, incentive that they're giving, there must have been quite a bit of negative to make them say, "Well, the heck with this." To tie it all together, you know, at the end of the day, well, let me ask you this because this I thought was interesting. I heard you, as I said, on that Coast to Coast episode uh, back uh, about a year ago with a couple of the crew guys, and you said, you know, you've changed your perspective on all this, where you, at the beginning you were sort of accepted that you were an abductee, and now you kind of think that you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you got hurt, and the ETs were helping you. Um, I guess extrapolate on that, and also, at the end of the day, 
does did the did the ETs treat you more humanely than the humans did? Well, I think that the uh, the amount of pain and fear that I was experiencing was just kind of an accident of circumstance. You know, I was injured uh, because of my own fault. I'm, I'm I know now. You know, I got too close and and uh, caused something to happen that wouldn't have happened had I not gotten so close. And so the injury uh, was probably what led them to take me. That they couldn't just if I was in cardiac arrest, you know, the nearest hospital from the contract there would have been over an hour away, and uh, you know, it'd have been too late. So if there was any reviving to do, it had to be done immediately. And I think that's what they were trying to do. Yeah. But so I still come to in a lot of pain, struggling to breathe, and that and that suffocating feeling really is a is a big trigger for panic. Hmm. And so that cast a whole negative thing over the whole experience in the, in the extreme that probably, you know, distorted my judgment of the whole thing. The fact that I was returned at all, that I was returned to a place where I could get help, and that there have been, you know, no negative uh, after effects. Right, that's what I mean. I mean, they helped you out. <laughs> and then you got back and all the humans were like, you know, we want something from you. It's kind of a weird contrast. Yeah. Now, have you considered the interdimensional scenario? Well, so, you know, in answer to that, you know, are these extraterrestrials? You know, there's all kinds of theories. Do they come from another dimension? Do they come from the past, from the future? You know, are they really some sort of a trick of some Earth-based agency? Any of those are possible. I I lean towards the extraterrestrial uh, explanation uh, because it's actually the least uh far out uh, you know yeah it's kind of like Occam's razor you know the the old saying that if you hear hoofbeats on the bridge uh, the logical thought immediately is not zebras you know <laughs> probably horses you know unless you're in Africa <laughs> yeah it depends on where you're at but you know wh what I mean is yeah the most likely scenario is is simply extraterrestrials now, when you got back, when you got back from the whole experience, you thought it was only a few hours, but obviously it was a few days. Do you think that it, it? Do you think that that your your not that your sense of time was distorted, but that actually time was distorted? Do you know what I mean? Well, that's that's possible, but that really, you know. The, my main uh, reason for thinking so little time had gone by is because the conscious period that I recalled at that point was so brief hmm. that I thought it was the same night. But um, the beard growth that I had and the watch that I was wearing, uh, you know, was a calendar watch. Okay. So, um, unless, you know, they could obviously change it before they brought me back uh, to throw me off. But um, I, I think it was probably five days and it's you know time that i just can't recall right right it's that if anything that would be the kind of mistake you'd hope they would make you know where they'd be like oh we didn't even think of the watch mm -hmm. you know and you get back and you're like look at this what do you make of the whole sort of chain of events in a sense because what happened to you and sort of what happened to betty and barney hill you, you guys were kind of the, the three biggest uh abductees before the big boom um you know you guys were kind of really different from what became 
the textbook, if you will, uh, abduction story. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, what do you make of of how abductions as a as a narrative changed? Uh, you know, in the '80s, and you know, what do you make of that? Well, that's kind of funny, you know, because I've heard uh, a number of investigators in the past uh, saying, "Well." I, I always doubted Travis's case because it doesn't match the others. And that was really ironic to me because way back, one of the first things that the uh, debunkers were saying was, well, this is just like all those other cases. It's just another copycat. <laughs> you know, so which is it? You know, the, it's uh, six of one, half a dozen the other, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um Whatever scenario they want, one uh, one debunker saying he wouldn't say nothing, he's all secretive. And the other one is he's got a, he's out there jumping out in front of the world, you know. Which is it? You know. Well, I guess to to turn the perspective around, though, I mean, if we're looking, you kind of cautioned about sort of putting ourselves in the alien's shoes. But if we do for a moment, do you think maybe you know they were like, well, it worked with uh, Betty and Barney, it worked with this with Travis, you know. That's the green light. We can we can take these people uh, whenever we want. It's not going to be a problem. I don't know. I think there's several phenomena going on simultaneously right now. Hmm. Um, some of it's uh, similar to what happened to um, my, me and Betty, and some of it's um, a whole different kind of thing. Some of it's even um, secret military stuff, and they're just using the UFO phenomena as cover. And, of course, you know, the debunkers, if they can latch onto one case that they can prove to be a delusion, they want to assume they're all delusions. I would assume that some of them are. That way it would be strange if none of them were. You know, mm. certainly there are some very uh, good plausibility, the idea that a really vivid dream could make somebody believe something that really happened. But, you know, there's some really good cases too. And not all of them are abduction some of them are just sightings you know? right right exactly yeah well i mean what do you think of the whole uh fact that abduction has become synonymous with sightings it's it, it, i've kind of argued that they need to be separated a little bit because you know even though they've seen been seen together it's not necessarily you know th- th- we may be missing something i guess by lumping them together oh yeah yeah i got it. There, there actually could be a lot more phenomena than I've even listed here going on simultaneously, and we're just lumping them all together. I've, I've often talked about how people categorize these aliens as, you know, just three basic categories, and that's all there is. You know, they they got this big category they call the grays, and I really think that um, there's probably many different species coming here, and just because they're small, humanoid, hairless large-eyed beings, you know, everybody calls them grays and try to, tries to, you know, account for the variations in descriptions as just being, you know, witness perception or something like that. But I think yeah, they could be um, completely different species from completely different planets. They just happen to look similar. Hmm. Now, at the end of the day, do you think we're going to this is the wrap-up here. Uh, do you, at the end of the day, do you think we'll ever really find out what this is all about? Or, you know, you, you think this is something that's so far above us and beyond us that we'll always kind of be left wondering till the day they put us in the ground? No, I think I think we will find out. And, you know, we're going to find out a lot more in our lifetimes, you know. But 
without a doubt, eventually it'll all come out. And I think a lot of it hinges on our own readiness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've argued on the program that it's a, it may be a generational thing, too. You know, as the next generation and the generation after that, eventually there'll be a generation that just accepts this, and you almost don't need disclosure, you know? Yeah. It'll be a slow process. Well, we're right up against the hour, so what uh, what do you have coming up here over the course of the summer and into the future? Uh, of course, folks can find out more about you at TravisWalton.com. Don't forget the hyphen between Travis and Walton, folks. Uh, I know you have a speaking engagement coming up. Let me see. Uh, you may know it better than I do. I'm looking forward on your website. Well, I think the first next one would be Roswell. Oh, nice. Uh, the 5th, 6th, and 7th. 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th. Um, July 4th is the anniversary of the Roswell incident. I uh, spoke there the last five years. I'll be speaking there again this year. But quite a few uh, uh, things coming up around the country. I was supposed to be in Brazil last week, but uh, the embassy uh, uh, bungled my uh, travel documents and uh, had to cancel at the last minute. It's a little crazy there right now. I don't know if you'd really want to be hanging around Brazil. That's what I saw on the news. There's all <laughs> kinds of riots down there, so maybe I'm better off not. Yeah, exactly. And as I said, folks can find out more about your upcoming events at uh, travis-walton.com. Uh, what's the status on the book? I know you did a reissue uh, through the website. Is that still yeah, available? There, for folks? And there, there's a real convenient way to order it through the website now. And uh, I'm working on getting a Spanish translation. Uh, well, that's awesome. So, folks, as I said, stay tuned to Travis-Walton.com, and hopefully he'll be uh, around your part of the country or your part of the world sometime in the future, and you can talk to him yourself. Uh, Travis, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I know you don't do too many programs, but uh, you, you took some time out of your busy schedule to talk to us, and I really do appreciate it. And uh, I, I'm just uh, captivated by your story, not just uh, what happened with the UFO, but what happened with the people following that and the uh, subsequent you know, 30-plus years. And I've really enjoyed exploring it here with you, and I, I hope I held up my end of the bargain and tried to bring some new perspectives or some new uh, thoughts to the whole thing and, and made you think a little bit about different stuff. So thank you so much for coming on the program. Hopefully we can do this again sometime in the future, and I wish you the very best. Thank you very much. That does it for the season finale of BOA Audio Season 7. Big, big thanks to Travis Walton for coming on the show helping us close the book on Season 7, and for being so open and revelatory about his story and life. For more information on Travis Walton, of course, you can find that at www.travis-walton.com. Pretty simple, just don't forget the hyphen, travis-walton.com. Check it out. Before we dive into BOA audio listener feedback, let me just quickly throw in those plugs from the beginning of the show in case some folks are going to shut us down and opt out of the end show segment. First of all, as noted, BOA audio season 8 is a go, and you'll be hearing it sometime in October. That is the plan right now. I've already got a slew of tremendous guests lined up. Cannot wait to talk to them. Cannot wait to share these topics with the BOA Audio listeners. I know it has been a very weird close to Season 7, but trust me, folks, we are going to hit the ground running in a big way 
as we roll out Season 8 in the fall. But in the interim, we're not quite done yet, folks. BOA Live is going to be coming at you sometime very, very soon. Possibly in the next week, possibly in the next 10 days. I don't have a firm premiere date set, but it is very, very close. And it is going to be, as I said earlier, the hub of BOA Audio until we launch Season 8. Tremendous stuff planned for that as well. Really, I think it's going to be quite different from Banal of America, but also very BOA-esque, since it is, of course, BOA Live. Stay tuned to Banal of America on Facebook and BOA Proper for more information on BOA Live, but it is coming very, very soon, my friends, and it is going to be awesome. Now, moving right along, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, and since we haven't done this segment in quite some time, plus it feels like we've got some time to fill here at the end of the show, I've picked out six emails to feature here on BOA Audio Listener Feedback, so let's dive on in. The first one comes from Luke in Bristol, England. Here's what he has to say. Just made a first-time donation. I think it's only fair, seeing as I've listened and enjoyed so much of your content over the years. I just want you to know that your hard work is appreciated and respected. And keep it up. I tend to leave the show for a six-month spell and then cram in all the ones I've missed. The combination of the length of the show and your modest radio persona helps push these conversations into interesting places. Anyways, much love from Bristol, England. Luke. Thank you very much for writing in, Luke. First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you for the donation to Banal of America. I'm going to try not to push donations too much here at the end of the show, but I wanted to put Luke over here for posting a donation to BOA. It is tremendously appreciated. And I kind of like your strategy here. Leave the show for a six-month spell and then cram in all the ones you've missed. Some folks would say that's what I do here as I produce the programs. Ha <laughs> ha. But... <laughs> I, I, I do uh, think that's a pretty good uh, way of doing things. And, and, you know, the length of the program is probably a big part of why it takes me so long to get these shows out. I mean, some of these conversations are two-plus hours. Just to edit them and put it all together takes me five or six hours, and I'm just totally burned out after that. And I'm really burned out here uh, closing out the season. So I'm looking forward to having maybe uh, a month or two to relax and then get really heavy into Season 8. It's going to be awesome. And uh, you say the modest radio persona. There's no persona here, Luke. What you see is what you get. Banal is banal and always has been, always will be. You know, I'm not trying to put on airs or be somebody I'm not. I'm just uh, Tim Banal, and I'm the host of Banal of America Audio. So some things never change. We still have the Raggedy Ann equipment we've been using since the very first episode of this program. Still use them all the way to uh, here tonight, talking to you at the close of Season 7. Don't anticipate any changes there either. And, of course, much love to the international listeners. Luke represents uh, England here, writing in, all the way from Bristol, England, which is pretty cool. And I always like to feature the international listeners at the end of the show. Shout out to all the folks listening beyond America. Just because it's called Banal of America doesn't mean we're an American show. It's just a cheesy name that we came up with way, way, way before any of all this even started. And it's really cool that we have so many listeners all over the world. 
And that includes you, Luke. So thank you, my friend, for writing in. Next email comes from Brian in Long Island, New York. And here's what he has to say. I have been reading the 1111 book by Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, and I see that you are in collaboration with them. The reason for my email is that I am deciphering their book, and there are some alterations that I can make that explain what 1111 is. I have been recently doing a lot of research on multiple accounts. I am studying all religions, Mayans, time, universe, 1111, etc. I would like somebody to contact me, because I feel alone in my search. I have all of this information and nobody to share it with. Ultimately, I am trying to contact the writers as well, and want to show you that I am a credible source. Thank you for your time, and you may contact me at your earliest convenience. Your friend, Brian. Thank you very much for writing in, Brian. Best of luck on your research into 1111. That is a fascinating phenomenon in and of itself. So I'm interested in hearing more about what you have dug up concerning 1111. And I think, Brian, I think there's a nugget here in his email that really resonated with me because he says, I feel alone in my search, and he would like somebody to contact him. I think, isn't that really what drives this whole program? You know, it's the researchers. They feel alone in their search. The listeners feel alone in their search for answers to all this stuff. And that's kind of what BOA has become, sort of, this, uh, you know, grassroots community, if you will, of folks who uh, don't want to be alone in their search. And you're not alone, folks. You're, you're part of the BOA family here, you know. We're all together in this and trying to figure out the mysteries of high strangeness. So, Brian, do not feel alone, my friend. I'm going to reach out to him and contact him, and maybe if he can put together some kind of manifesto on 11.11, we'll feature him in some way, shape, or form via the BOA franchise. Because I don't want you to feel alone, Brian. I don't want anyone out there to feel alone. I hate it when I feel alone. So maybe that's why I do the show, because I don't want to be alone, so I can talk to all you guys out there. I don't even know. But it resonated with me, the, 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 the feeling here. So thank you for writing in, Brian. I really do appreciate your email, my friend. Once again, just remember, you're not alone. Next email comes from frequent BOA audio correspondent Paul in Kitchener, which I believe is in Ontario, Canada, and he's writing regarding my quest to quit smoking, which was discussed, I believe, at the end of uh, one of the more recent editions of the program. Here's what he has to say. You can stop smoking if you want to, and you've heard that a thousand times. What I've learned about COPD, formerly called emphysema, after being diagnosed, Virtually every long-term smoker will have this issue. The worse it is, the more trouble breathing. Stop before you hit 40 or sooner, maybe by the start of next season. Tim, anybody who gives a shit about you is going to badger you about smoking. Anyways, I'm coming up on annual donation month, and I want you around to keep your show going. Cheers, Paul in Kitchener. I don't know, I like how he's so adamant. And 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 and, uh, <laughs> and so serious about this. It seems like I'm collecting people now who want me to quit smoking. More people keep entering my life who really want me to quit smoking. It's um, funny in a way because I meet people, I become friends with people, I get into relationships with people, and next thing you know, it's like uh, I got another person who really wants me to hurry up and quit smoking. So I'm going to make a serious run at it here between seasons. 
Uh, and hopefully by the time I kick off season eight, I will be a non-smoker by the time you uh, hear from me again in the taped format. So stay tuned. And, and during the course of BOA Live, I'll try and give folks updates. I guess that's it on the smoking front. No big developments aside from the increase in cigarette prices here in Massachusetts, which is outrageous. And more than enough to add additional kindling on the fire to quit smoking. So thank you for writing in, Paul. I really do appreciate that you care enough to badger me about the smoking as well. You are not just a listener, you are a friend, and I appreciate that. All right, let's keep on going here with BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Next one comes from Mike, no hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. Show idea. Was Queen Elizabeth a man? Thanks for all the great work. I've followed your show for years and always enjoy it. I ran into this article this weekend and thought it would make a great show idea if you could get the author referenced in it. And then there's a link to an article in the Daily Mail which details a new book which alleges that Queen Elizabeth was a man, as given away here by the uh, subject title. Uh, Mike continues, let me know what you think, and thank you for the quality audio. Mike, no hometown listed. Mike, I love it. I would love to do that topic on the program. I think that would be tremendous, and definitely what BOA Audio is all about, exploring the real fringes of the esoteric and alternative history. I will look into this. I will try and get a hold of the author, and I will try and see if we could do it as a BOA audio program. I'm not sure how well that would flesh out into a lengthy conversation, but anything's possible, and I've definitely added this to the list of potential BOA guests because that is a wild topic and one I would definitely want to explore on BOA Audio in Season 8. Thank you so much for passing this one along, because I never would have noticed it percolating in the news cycle. And we'll segue that, of course, into the annual call for guests. If you'd like to hear folks on BOA Audio, now is your time to send me their information. Let me know who you'd like to hear on BOA Audio Season 8. We've only got about six or seven folks right now penciled in in the very early stages. So there's tons of spots here in Season 8. And I want to hear from the BOA Audio listeners about what you want to hear on the program. We will have the contact information in just a few moments. So until then, start thinking about who you'd like to hear on Season 8. And then send the info on to me, and I'll see what I can do about getting them on the program. The penultimate email comes from a mysterious man by the name of Red Lightning, and here's what he has to say. I've listened to nearly every one of your podcasts over the last few years. My day job affords me the luxury of being able to listen to podcasts at work. Although for some reason I'm unable to access the full shows on your site, I can hear Part A and Part B very easily. I'm also a big baseball fan. I'm a big Brewers fan and also a Twins fan. Living in western Wisconsin, I'm closer to Minneapolis than Milwaukee, so I try to get to at least one Brewers and one Twins game each year. I've been intending to email you for years, but never did, because I never really had anything to say. I guess I don't really have anything specific to say this time either. I could give a few guest suggestions for Season 8. The first one would be Scotty Roberts or Scott Allen Roberts. He is the author of two books, one about reptilians, 
and one about the Nephilim. He and I have similar backgrounds, so he's very interesting to me. Another guest I would suggest, but I'm not sure you would want to go down that road or not, is the whole super soldier subject. I'm not sure I totally buy into it, but I like listening to interviews with Duncan O'Finian. Like I said, I'm not sure I believe it all, but it's interesting for sure. Another suggestion would be the host of another podcast I listen to quite often, and that would be Randy Maugans from Off Planet Radio. He kind of discusses topics on the fringe, but I think the two of you would have an interesting conversation. A return guest I would like to hear a second time would be John Lear. He is never boring. I really like a lot of your off-the-beaten-path type of guests. The Columbine shows were great, especially the first one. The show on cruise ships was phenomenal. There were others, too, that I can't remember right now that weren't normal topics, but the guests were great, and I felt like I learned something new. I also wanted to let you know that you are one of my favorite hosts. Your site is one of the sites I check frequently for new podcasts to listen to. I love the fact that you're a big wrestling fan. I'm pretty much a nobody on the national scene, but I've been an independent pro wrestler for 15 years in the Midwest and just announced my retirement on May 1st. I've only been retired for a short time, and I already can't wait to get back in the ring, so I'm not sure how long this will last. But it's very cool to hear you talk wrestling and even throw in a few wrestling terms during episodes, which always makes me smile. Another reason is because even though I'm sure I'm a few years older, it seems like we are close in age. I just turned 36. Most in the paranormal field seem to be in their 50s or older. I'm not exactly in the field. I just enjoy researching it, and I find the topics interesting. I have no intention of going ghost hunting or anything, but a blog or podcast would be something I would consider at some point. Keep up the good work. Red Lightning. Wow, I don't even know where to begin on this email. First of all, it is crazy and awesome that we have a pro wrestler who listens to the program. Someone who practices the dark arts of professional wrestling just... Awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you for writing in Red Lightning. I like how he doesn't even reveal his true name. He's just Red Lightning, and that's who he's going to be, folks. He's Red Lightning. I want to get more into Red Lightning's life and find out more about what's going on with him. I think it's really cool that he's a big fan of BOA Audio and uh, that he's been a pro wrestler for 15 years. That's insane. I hope you're holding up okay, man. I don't know if I could do it for, like... 15 days, so 15 years, that's tremendous. Hopefully he's not too banged up. And always good to hear from folks who like the baseball special. Uh, We're kind of hitting on all the big points here as we close out the season. And the baseball special is the annual BOA madness that is the departure from the paranormal. I'm glad there are some folks who still tune into the baseball special. Can't wait to talk to Paul Kimball again and rub it in his face that the Boston Red Sox are doing so well, and his beloved Toronto Blue Jays have completely crapped out. Just am really enjoying that quite a bit. Thank you, Red Lightning, for sending in the guest suggestions. I'll check out Scotty Roberts, Duncan O'Finion, and Randy Maugans. I probably mispronounced all of those names, but I will definitely look into their stuff for sure. Super Soldier, that sounds amazing. That sounds like something I would definitely want to get into here on the program. I want to get into stuff we haven't talked about here on the show in the past seven seasons. As you said, the the off-the-beaten-path type of guests. Kendall Carver, the cruise ship episode, 
I'd put that one up against any edition of BOA Audio as a classic installment of the program. And if we can find more shows like that, more guests like that for Season 8, and I'm working on it, folks. That's kind of where my mindset is here as I'm booking Season 8. It's going to be a very eclectic and mind-bending season. So stay tuned, because Season 8 is going to really rock your socks off, my friends. It is going to be awesome. And I think that's about it here for Red Lightning's email. Yes, we are close to the same age, my friend. I am 34, you are 36, so we are pretty close. He's That's amazing. I'm looking at this again. He's 36, he's been wrestling for 15 years, so he started when he was 21. Uh, just awesome stuff. I'd like to know more about this. And actually, that reminds me, we are going to be doing a pro wrestling edition of the program in Season 8. I'm working on that right now, and I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a really big guest on the program to talk about pro wrestling. Maybe we'll get Red Lightning in for uh, an addendum to that episode. You know, do a two-parter or uh, do a double guest episode there, or do sort of a back-to-back on the same show program to talk about the world of professional wrestling. Red Lightning, I'll be reaching out to you, my friend. I'm very interested in in hearing more about your stuff. And we do have a lot in common here, because he says he has no intention of going ghost hunting, and that makes two of us, buddy. Thank you very much for writing in. Much appreciated. And finally, before we zip up the BOA Audio Listener Feedback mailbag here for Season 7, we've got one more email. It comes from Billy. No hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. I have been listening to your podcast for quite a while now. And after hearing your comments at the end of your interview with Bill Burns about being burned out, I had the urge to send you words of encouragement. I thoroughly enjoy your podcast, and especially like the variety of guests you book to interview. I never know what I'm going to get from episode to episode, which keeps things interesting. Your hard work does not go unappreciated. I have sent you a donation by snail mail with the hopes that it will adequately communicate the level of appreciation I have for you and what you do. Maybe it will alleviate any thoughts you may have had of not continuing your podcast as well. You mentioned that you had experienced positive changes in your personal life, and I can only guess what that means. But family demands can cause you to rethink your commitment to regularly putting out a podcast. I hope that is not the case, but if it is, so be it. I'll just have to enjoy the archive I have collected since I discovered your podcast a few years ago. Take care, and keep up the good work. Billy. Thank you very much for writing in, Billy. I want to save this one for last because, first of all, I don't want to scare anybody. There's no end in sight for BOA Audio. Season 8 is, as I've been saying here, a go. It is going to be awesome, and BOA Live will be coming at you in the not-too-distant future. But I really do appreciate that Billy kind of heard that fourth wall smashing that went on at the end of the last edition of the program and reached out to me and sort of gave me a little boost here, some words of encouragement and a very generous donation as well. That wasn't the whole reasoning behind all that. I wasn't trying to get people to feel bad for me and send me money. That's that that's the <laughs> that's the domain of other paranormal podcasters. That's not what I'm all about. But I do appreciate that Billy sent a donation and that he reached out to me. And, uh, you know, I was kind of coming from a hurt place at the end of the last edition of the program. 
Uh, you know, it's just grueling doing this show, and it's really grueling putting out these two-plus-hour programs, even if it's just every ten days, even if it's like every three weeks, uh, combined with work, and as I said at the end of that show, family commitments and positive personal life developments have just kept me tied down to a ridiculous degree this summer. I'm happy to report just as the summer is coming to an end, a lot of the distractions have been coming to an end as well. My work life is alleviating, the personal life situation is settling into a nice groove, and the family demands have lessened quite a bit. So I'm feeling refreshed. I'm really looking forward to diving into creating this new content for the BOA Audio listeners. I'm thrilled about it, and I cannot wait to get started on all of these different projects that have been percolating all summer. So do not fear, folks. Do not worry. It's been a bumpy ride this season. It's been a really bumpy ride here as we close the book on Season 7. But BOA Audio Season 8 is on the horizon. I can see it coming up ahead and it is going to be a tremendous ride, and BOA Live is going to be something that you are going to have to listen to and experience for yourself. So, I guess at the end of the day, all I have to say is we are going to continue onward, folks. As always, and as we always do, we are going to continue onward. Thank you for running in, Billy, and thank you for your tremendous support. Additionally, thanks to Red Lightning, Mike, Paul, Brian and Luke for writing in here on this edition of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Thanks to all the folks who've been writing in all season. There's just way too many to mention. Tons of folks. Folks who had their emails featured here at the end of the show. Folks who sent massive emails. Super long emails that I could never read at the end of the program. But I did my very best to get back to you. There's still some folks who I owe a return email. And you'll get it during this mid-season downtime. Trust me, folks, I do not forget about the folks that email me, and I read all the emails. So if you haven't heard back from me, do not fear. I have read your correspondence, and will try to get back to you ASAP. Nonetheless, thank you, everybody who's reached out over the course of the last year or so here during Season 7. And I still want to hear from you, so send me your correspondences. Let me know who you want to hear on future installments of BOA Audio, what topics do you want us to explore. If you got stuff off the beaten path, definitely send me that information because I want to dig into more of those topics as we keep going here into the future. That's what the listeners really seem to enjoy, and that's what I've been enjoying exploring here on the program. So with that said, here are the means to contact me. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. You can head on over to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com, and click the contact button. And if you want something a little more interactive, you can join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. It is BOA's paranormal playground where we discuss pop culture and the esoteric. If you've joined up recently and I have not approved your membership yet, shoot me an email. I'll take care of it right away. Sometimes those pile up on me and I don't get a chance to get around to approving those folks and weeding out the spammers. 
Additionally, of course, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Just punch in Benal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L. The profiles will pop right up. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good, and I'd be happy to have you as part of my online circle of friends. Beyond all that, there is, of course, Benal of America on Facebook. We've been plugging that all season long. The final tally here is 1,020 likes on Facebook. So we're well past 1,000, but the more likes, the better. So if you've not liked us yet on Facebook, please do so. And if you're a frequent BOA Audio listener, you're going to want to like us, because that's where you're going to get information on BOA Audio Season 8. That's where you're going to get info on BOA Live. That's where I'll be looking for feedback from the BOA listeners as we continue onward here into BOA Live and on to BOA Audio Season 8. So just punch in Benal of America on Facebook, like us, and join in on the fun. And now, please allow me to take a moment here and thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, our webmaster, Ray Weigel, and our graphics guru, Jeremy Boston. Not much going on at Benal of America right now, but we are tackling BOA 3.0 now that we are in the off-season. So hopefully you'll be seeing some improvements and changes at Benal of America very, very soon, courtesy of the tremendously talented Ray Weigel and Jeremy Boston. Additionally, I've been sitting on some columns from the BOA staff, and I'm going to be rolling those out very, very soon. New stuff from Regan Lee and Richard Thomas, and other pieces percolating from the BOA staff. So stay tuned to Banal of America for more esoteric insights and opinions from the BOA staff. Up next comes the time in the program where I turn things around to all you folks out there and beat the drum a little bit and ask you to make a donation to the BOA franchise. I already hit you with that at the beginning of the show and maybe guilted you a couple times because I read emails from folks who have made donations. I don't want to guilt people. I don't want to beg. As I said, that's the purview of other paranormal podcasters. That's not the BOA way. All i got to say is, this is episode 33, you have just heard a slew of programs over the last year under the BOA Audio Season 7 umbrella, probably close to 100 hours of programming, numerous international episodes, literally days worth of my life put into the work here of Season 7, and if you appreciate it and you can help us out, and you want to put us into the black as we get ready for BOA Live and BOA Audio Season 8, that would be hugely appreciated. I know I'm reaching out right now to the very hardest of hardcore BOA Audio listeners, the folks who have listened to this massive end segment here on the season finale, and you're still listening to me, even as my voice gets hoarse and I'm running out of steam, you're still riding right next to me. You are the ride or die, folks, and I really do appreciate your support, regardless of whether you make donations or not. That said, we would love it if you could help us out. 
How do you do that? Of course, that's simple. You head on over to banalofamerica.com and click the PayPal button. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the internet and you want to make a snail mail donation, you can do that by writing to Tim Benal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass., 01866. And you can find the complete address at Benal of America under the PayPal button right there on the homepage. As always, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Benal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. And on that note, since there is no next time on BOA Audio at this time, it's time to close the book on BOA Audio Season 7 once and for all. Big, big thanks once again to Travis Walton for coming on the show and providing some tremendous insights into his life and story. Enormous thanks to all six folks who contributed to BOA Audio listener feedback here at the end of Season 7. And finally, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you to all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA audio listeners, the true warriors of the BOA way. You guys are awesome. I cannot thank you enough for sticking with this program through thick and thin, for being a part of our good times, for being a part of our tough times, and for just being a part of BOA. You guys are awesome. I cannot thank you enough for your support of this program and for your enduring patience through what has been a very trying season at times. Normally at the end of the season I get a little choked up and, uh, you know, really kind of uh, get quite sad that we're closing the book on another season. But this time around I feel great, I feel good, and you're going to be hearing from me sooner than you can even possibly imagine. So... It's not goodbye, it's just farewell for now. And, with all that said, until next time, this is Tim Benal, thanking you for listening, and signing off.